Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. And I promise we are not doing this on purpose. <laughs> Having a sound equipment trouble in a sermon series entitled, uh, Is This Thing On? <laughs> not doing it on purpose. Brandon, do you use uh, the clicker thing? Okay. All right. We are in an epiphany sermon series. And it is entitled, Is This On? And just so you know kind of how we are hearing that particular phrase and how I'm using it in a sermon series, it is as if God is actually using the microphone and God is trying to get this giant word out, this giant word out that will be a message of hope and future, but also a calling of sorts, enlisting people to the same cause, the same kingdom by which God's future comes to fruition and it seems like there are times when it would be God who is tapping on the mic and by the way some people hate when you do that they tap when people tap on the mic and asking is this thing on why is this message not getting across so we are using that for our epiphany sermon series title uh, today and epiphany just so you know we are in this epiphany series trying to get there to that next slide it has to do with um Making known, it has to do with showing and revealing just how big this God is, just how broad this message is, the scope of this message. It also tries to, the season of Epiphany is designed to try to get you on board. To try to get you on board. Because I think you can come to church and not be on board. I think you can come to church and perhaps because you've gone to church for so long, I think it's possible that there is a creeping kind of cynicism that can arrest your spiritual development, let's say, and perhaps keep you from hearing God, the voice of God, the call of God, the challenge of God, keep you from seeing the opportunities around you to make a kingdom sort of dent. I've used that word uh, cynicism. Uh, another 
synonym would be the word skepticism. Uh, Another synonym might be doubt, mistrust. What is your posture as you come into the sanctuary today, specifically where faith is concerned? Specifically where faith is concerned. Specifically where the institution that helps us get this word out is concerned. Now, welcome to church today, and I appreciate that I get a chance to preach, but really what's going on today is you all are getting to sit in on my therapy. (laughs) Welcome to this giant uh, two-hour-long therapy session. Just kidding, it won't be quite that long. Cynicism, I think, is my biggest problem. Do you remember when we had the, the, um, the iceberg? And I promise not, I'm not bringing back the iceberg. <laughs> I had a 10-year-old say to me the other day, enough with the iceberg, okay? <laughs> Cynical kid. Um, but what I said to you in the, in the course of using that iceberg is this, that there is the, the very top of the iceberg, that's where actions take place. And a lot of time you hear a pastor or a teacher say, do this and don't do this. But below that, below the the arena or or the the universe of actions, there is the whole universe of motivation. Why do I do what I do? And sometimes, sometimes teaching and preaching confronts us there. The attitudes and desires that give rise to certain actions. But then there's an even deeper portion, the largest portion, in fact, of that iceberg. It's beneath the surface, and we call that worldview. And I told you that there were competing worldviews. You have this kingdom worldview that God in Christ is reconciling the world to himself and trying to do something good, something specific, something significant. And we, as God's people, the, the, uh, the church, are supposed to be enlisted, helping God do what God wants to do. And that is a worldview. So is materialism. A lot of times these other competing worldviews will end with ism. Materialism. Consumerism is its own worldview. Materialism has a bumper sticker, in fact. It says, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Then there's nationalism. There are people who funnel everything they know about life and everything they want to believe. They funnel it through this nationalistic sort of filter and lens. It can, in and of itself, become its own religion. And then there's cynicism. Cynicism expects no, even when God offers a yes. Now, dependent on where you find yourself employing this cynicism, it it, it sometimes is more dangerous than in other places. For example, Cubs fans, okay? Um, baseball fans, the Cubs fans, I, I, the Cubs, if you're a Cubs fan, it's not, you don't start spring training saying, man, I wonder how far we'll get in the playoffs this year. It'll be, man, I wonder when and where they'll break my heart this year. That's kind of, that's the Cubs have been some like over a hundred years since they've won a title. And that's just what happens. If you're a Cubs fan, you sort of expect that God will do something to your team and to you to cause you some bit of anguish. And so you just expect that. And that's kind of what I'm calling cynicism today. It's not the cynicism, though, about sports teams that I'm most concerned about today. It's cynicism about bigger and broader and more important things. The next time an election cycle rolls around, 
someone is going to be put forth as a candidate who can bring both sides of the aisle together. And you will do what I will do when I hear that. I'll go like, I roll. And whether I say it out loud or not, I'll say, yeah, right. The system is what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. The system is so broken, no one can do that. And by the way, there are fewer people, not more people, running for office because of it. You can hear this, you can hear this, this creep of, of cynicism, even as we talk about other uh, really important institutions like marriage. And it's most of the time, it's, it's somebody says it, and, and they're joking, they talk about it, they say to the young man, you're about to throw away your freedom. In some sense, this will be the worst night of your life. And then afterwards, a spouse is perhaps referred to as, I don't know if you've heard this, but ball and chain. There is a cynicism about marriage. It's dangerous. And it's especially dangerous to married people. And there's a cynicism that surrounds the institution that that we all know and call the church. I mean, the, the, the misbehavior, the, the terrible, the terrible behavior of pastors and priests, it's well documented, right? I, I don't have to tell you that there have been times when priests and pastors have not behaved very well. Do, maybe I do have to. Sometimes pastors and priests just don't behave very well. And sometimes churches don't behave very well. Not us, but other churches in town don't behave very well sometimes. Amen. It strikes me that at this, there's an event coming up, and we as a staff are going to go to this. It's once every four years. It's called M15 or Mission 15. And we go and we, and we listen to all these seminars. And there is a title of a seminar. It's one of the mega seminars. In other words, if you're going to the event, you're probably going to hear this seminar. And here's the title of the seminar. When bad churches happen to good pastors. I don't think that's very smart, first of all, to name, but, but. There's a cynicism about the institution of the church, of institutionalized faith, that perhaps most of us share. When we, when we look at the way the church culture works, and then we look at the way that the culture outside of the church works, and we don't see enough difference, you can feel it. It, it starts to creep in. It starts to creep in. And if it creeps in, you come into the sanctuary <laughs> where God wants to uh, shout out a resounding yes, but you have already decided that the answer is no. Even if you show up. Cynicism. Next one. Go to the next one. This is Dilbert, and I know it's hard to read, so I'm going to read that to you. The boss says, I'm reading reports that you're being cynical. It's called an accurate worldview. You should try it sometime. If it's accurate, why are people upset? Said the angry guy to the one who isn't. 
Yeah, because here's the thing. Sometimes our cynicism is a means of protecting ourselves against disappointment and disillusionment. See, if you expect no, if you expect the worst, if you expect bad news, if you expect people to fail you, if you expect God to fail you, if you come in expecting that, and then somehow you're able to interpret that God, in fact, has failed you or other people have failed you, then you know what you get to do? You get to just sort of just carry on with your life and not feel the same kind of pain and anguish that the hopeful person did when he or she walked into the room. It's called an accurate worldview. You should try it sometime. Is it any wonder, is it any wonder that at times we wonder whether or not God still speaks? There are some people who self-label, hear hear this, some people self-label as atheist or agnostic. What they really are actually is disillusioned in Christianity and church people. Life's biggest disappointments, and again, I know it's too small to read, it has at the top. Well, when you find out that Santa's not real, when you find out that love may not be like it is in the movies, when you find out that an education does not, in fact, guarantee you a great job, when you find out that there's a lot more to adulthood than they told you, and then when you find out that perhaps Christianity doesn't work. Interesting, huh? Oops, that's Waldorf and Statler. And sometimes people come to church and they're still Waldorf and Statler. And it can be about little things, right? It can be like, that microphone, that never works. And it's probably that kid's fault back there. It's probably Drew's fault back there. Sorry, Drew, I know it's not your fault. Or, or, maybe it's something actually a little bit more significant than that. You ever heard this? There's just clicks everywhere in the church. I don't go because there's clicks everywhere. Or, or I don't, there's, there's just hypocrites. Have you ever heard a, a gathering of Christians in any way referred to as a gathering of hypocrites? Have you ever heard that perhaps there's a hypocrite at church? Newsflash. Yes. Some people come in, sometimes Waldorf and Statler, they come in and they sit. And here's a strange thing. Waldorf and Statler may always come to church, but may never hear from God. It's like their cars know to come to church. And by the way, you know exactly where Waldorf and Statler sit because they will not let anybody else sit there. But that doesn't mean that they are hearing from God. This button says, I'm not cynical, just experienced. Yeah, but what if God wants to do a new thing? The last people to know if God really wants to do a new thing will be the cynical people. Let me make that more individual and personal. The last person to know that God has in mind 
that God would like to do something new, the last person to know that will be the cynical person whose life is postured where faith and where God and the voice of God is concerned, whose life is already postured as a no. I mean, they're not even a maybe, they're a no. And maybe for pretty good reasons, uh, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that the church hasn't done dumb things, that pastors haven't done dumb things. In fact, listen, we have done dumb things. We have done things that have, over a period of time, hurt folks. Didn't mean to. So I'm calling them dumb things. (laughs) But it's possible, it's possible that the institution and the people who try to work within and serve the institution, it's possible, it's possible that we have contributed. If you sitting where you are today in your seat, if you feel like you could wear this button, I'm not cynical, just experience, experienced, it's possible that we have contributed to that. And, and if so, I'm really sorry. It's probably not God's fault. It's probably not God's fault. And it's possible, if you could kind of sort through the no that we have helped you to construct, it's possible that the yes that you're not hearing could change everything. George Carlin said it like this. Scratch any cynic and you'll find a disappointed idealist. Here's what I hope to happen today. I hope that... (laughs) I hope that cynics are able to own the fact that they are, in fact, disappointed idealists. And I hope, if for no other reason, that your belief is in a God just big enough to be capable of something more than the no you brought into the church with you today. Before we get to the passage scripture that Laura read for us, we're going to start actually back in 1 Samuel 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. But here's the verse. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. Now, Eli was the functioning head priest, and he had sons who were supposed to be helping him, Hophni and Phinehas. But it turns out that Hophni and Phinehas were rascals, were criminals. They were scalawags, whatever you like there. Insert word here. They were cheating people and taking advantage of people. And frankly, over a long period of time, gave the name of faith a bad name. They, in so many ways, helped to ruin the reputation of religion, spirituality. Is it any wonder that the word of the Lord was rare in those days? Is it any wonder that the visions were not widespread? The people who were supposed to be helping them to listen and to see were themselves broken people. And so a chapter before, (laughs) messenger, prophet comes to Eli and says, Hey, your sons, for whom you are responsible, your sons are really messing this thing up. And so we're going to cut off your family tree. (laughs) And God's going to go a different direction. Now, prior to that, there was this woman named Hannah who was unable to have children. And she cried out, God, give me a child. And long story short, 
God does something miraculous and she does bear a child. And she promises, God, if you'll give me a child, I will give this child back to you. Quite literally give this child back to you to serve in your house forever. And that's what happened. So Samuel was born and she just packaged him up and gave him to Eli to raise. Because she had committed that's what she would do. So Eli is this youngster in Eli's, so Samuel actually is this youngster in Eli's house. All the while, Eli and the sons are making a mockery of faith. Is it any wonder that the word of the Lord was rare and that visions were not widespread? So God decides to insist on a yes. So God decides to insist on a yes, even though insisting on this yes means that he's going to have to bring something to an end in order to bring something to a beginning. And so God speaks to Samuel at night. Then the Lord called Samuel, Samuel, and he said, here I am. (laughs) And he ran to Eli and he said, here I am, you called me. And Eli said, I did not call you. Go and lay down. You're bothering me. A second time it happens. The Lord calls Samuel. And again, Samuel is a good guy, nice young man. So he jumps up and he runs out to Eli and says, okay, you called me again. Eli said, I I did not call you. Go and lie down. But then something sort of clicks in Eli's head. Now today, uh, you're going to hear about four characters, two in the Old Testament story, two in the New Testament story. You've got Samuel, and you have Eli in this story. Later on, you're going to have Philip and Nathaniel. And I think it's healthy every once in a while to ask yourself this question. Which one of these characters am I most like? So taking this particular story in view, you've got Samuel, the young, innocent Uh, the new beginning representative of this new beginning and you have Eli who has been who has been part of the problem but still wants to be part of the solution so having heard Samuel say this twice now he says this to Samuel Eli says this to Samuel this is great hey if the voice calls again it's going to be the Lord And say this, speak, your servant is listening. Speak, your servant is listening. This is really interesting. Perhaps it's because of the ways that Eli and his sons have done faith. But though Samuel has grown up in this place, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, with Eli's help, speak, your servant is listening. There are some days I... Actually, most every day, I really want to be Samuel, right? I really want to be Samuel. (laughs) 
The one that God would call out to you specifically as God can. The one that God would use to do something new and different. But there are probably some days when I need to be Eli. Maybe part of the problem, but certainly if I'm faithful and obedient in that moment, still perhaps part of the solution to help a Samuel hear and identify a voice with my help and my guidance that maybe without my help and my guidance, he or she might not be able to identify. What about you? I know I'm doing my own therapy. I just kind of want to put you on the couch for a minute. What about you? What about you, Statler? (laughs) Waldorf? If, in fact, you have not heard God speak a new word for a long time, is it possible that God still might be able to use you to give somebody else the capacity to hear the voice of God? Are you investing in anyone right now? Are you helping someone to hear the voice of God? Or are you so stuck in your cynical no that this is a thought process and a conversation that you've not even entertained? I do believe that God can and does speak within your frame of reference, but God is not limited to your frame of reference or your language of faith. You know what I miss about youth ministry? Here's one of the things I miss about youth ministry. I miss how wild and big and sometimes weird the dreams of students are. I miss that. I miss that. Because something happens when you get a mortgage, right? Right? Something happens when you are, you are saddled with some of these other kinds of, of responsibilities, perhaps debts and, and things that tie you down. Some, something happens when we grow into adulthood. And one of the things we lose, I think, if we're not careful, I think we lose the, capa- the capacity to dream the bigger dream that folks who don't have those kinds of responsibilities have the capacity to dream. Listen. If for whatever reason you can't in a given moment be Samuel, at least be Eli. At least be that person who says to the dreamer, keep dreaming, keep listening. You know why? It's not even necessarily because that kid is so great and cool, because that kid might be great and cool, but it's because God is still moving and speaking And God is insisting on a yes, even if your calcified heart, even if this calcified institution, no, not this one. I'm telling you, I love this place. But even if you think somehow we are participating in a larger calcified institution, and by the way, it's not just the young who have uh, the tendency to think that. But even if you think that somehow we're participating in a calcified institution, isn't God still big enough to move around it? And isn't God still big enough to move through it and in it? You dare not be so calcified that you would put parameters or limits on what God can do, especially 
what God can do that might be new. Boy, you better not do it. Because if you do that, you're God. And you just aren't going to make a very good God. And I hope there are many days over this next month when we can all be Samuel. But can we agree? If we can't be Samuel, let's at least be Eli and encourage people to listen to the God who has not stopped speaking yet. I'll go with one amen. That's okay. So, the next story that we're going to deal with, John chapter 1. At the beginning of the chapter, John has said some incredibly large things. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. These are huge sentiments, huge statements. Now toward the end of this chapter, having been convinced that God in Christ is in fact up to something, we see toward the second half of this chapter that God now wants to enlist other people in this process of doing something good in God's creation. After Jesus has dealt with Andrew and Peter... The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. You know what? That's all it took for Philip. And because some people are like that, right? (laughs) Jesus walks up and says, follow me. Yep, sounds good. And just follow him. Not only that, right after that, he goes to somebody else named Nathaniel. Okay, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel. And said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. (laughs) Nathanael said to him, are you sure? Now, let let me say in a preemptive sort of way, I, I have picked out just this one little city to pick on all the time. And I'm sorry if I've picked out, and it's been Mustang. I've picked on Mustang for a long time. There's no good reason for it. I'm sorry, Cameron. I just have. There's no good reason for it. Could have just as easily picked on Midwest City. So you know what? Today we're going to pick on Midwest City. Right? Amen. All right. People from Mustang. Amen. Philip, having just heard this very simple word, follow me. Philip says, sounds good. Let's go. Philip didn't care where Jesus was from. But Nathaniel is so schooled in the ways of the world, he knows that nothing good can come from Midwest City. <laughs> now the Midwest City people are mad at me. Fill in your own place. A place, a place that has just enough baggage for you that if you were to hear that something really good was coming out of fill in the blank, you would find it hard to believe because you've been to that place. You've been to that. Maybe it's a school. You've been there. Something's good coming out of there? I don't think so. Something's good? Something good's coming out of this part of the city? Probably not. I've lived here. Something good is coming out of this particular state? I don't think so. I've I've been there. Something good is coming from this part of the world? This part of the world? Have you seen those pictures? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can you hear it in Nathaniel's voice? Can you hear it? It is the cynicism that comes with supposed knowledge and experience. I'm not cynical. I just have experience. 
And my experience tells me the truth. Does it? Does it? What if God wanted to do something in and amongst the people that you've decided can't do something? What if God wanted to do something with in and through the people that you perhaps have considered enemies, maybe in a mild sort of way, but maybe in a serious sort of way? What if God wanted to do something like that? Would your first inclination be, wow, God is so creative? Or would your first inclination be, I don't believe this story because I know who's writing it? I don't believe this story. I know what channel it's on. Isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting how often we not only get the news, but we get the interpretation of the news. It's like we need the help to know how to put all the, right? Isn't it interesting how quickly that becomes our particular frame of reference and our universe of meaning and we get so addicted to our own universes of meaning and our frames of reference and our definitions to all the important words that there are times when it feels like it must feel like to God that God's not allowed to work somehow beyond or outside of our parameters. Hey, God is allowed to work beyond your parameters. In fact, God seems to enjoy working beyond your parameters. And so, <laughs> and so as Nathaniel comes walking up, Jesus says about him, now here is an Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Nathaniel's response is, how do you know me? In fact, what it says in your Bible probably is, how did you get to know me? Jesus responds, well, I saw you. I saw you way over there before Philip got to you when you were sitting underneath the fig tree. And somehow that's enough to flip Nathaniel's switch because Nathaniel then goes from disbelief and cynicism to I am all in. <laughs> Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And in fact, he goes so quickly from cynicism and disbelief to belief that it seems to kind of catch Jesus off guard. He says, really? That's what it took? Really? That's, that's, that's all it took? Because I got to tell you something. You're going to see better than that. It's really important for us. You're going to see better than that. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, that may not mean that much to you, but to a Jewish person who had been schooled in all of these different stories, one of which would have been the story in Genesis 28, the story of Jacob's ladder. This ladder somehow span the distance between the heavens and the earth, this ladder upon which the angels went back and forth, this ladder that demonstrated that, in fact, God has access to this world and this world has access to God. When Jesus said to Nathaniel, let me tell you something. You know that story? Remember that ladder? I'm the ladder, Jesus says. That would have meant quite a bit to Nathaniel. 
And for folks not stuck on no, it can mean quite a bit to us. Because again, again, in Epiphany, here's what we're trying to say. God is on the scene to reclaim all of creation. But even as I say that, even as I say that, let me tell you a statement that gets me in trouble all over the place. Ready? Here it is. I say, and I believe, that with God, there is no division between the sacred and the secular because everything belongs to God. And people get so mad at me. People get so mad at me. (laughs) But I deeply and genuinely believe that Christ is this ladder upon which the angels of God ascend and descend. I deeply believe that Jesus is this incredible place of access whereby God has access to all of creation and all of creation has access to God. I think, I'm more likely going to think If there are places that are God-forsaken, it's because we've forsaken it. I don't think God's forsaken it. I think it's probably believer-forsaken, not God-forsaken. Well, I know dark and ugly places. Yes, yes, me too. Let's go there. You know who I can't get to go there? People who come into church and they are just buckled into their no. When God wants to shout a yes. Epiphany is a yes. And the yes of epiphany confronts the calcified believer who lives no. What are you? Have you at any level given up on the dream of God to reclaim all of creation? Well, yeah, probably because I've been watching the news. Um, John, do you have a TV? Yes, I have a TV. Well, have you been watching the news? Have you seen what's happened in Africa? Have you seen what's happened in Missouri? Have you seen what's happened in other places in our city? Yes, yes. Okay, so what do you want us to do then? Do you want us to join you in your pit of no? Or might we all climb into God's yes? Broke my heart when this guy said he was no longer going to have a show. So Stephen Colbert, who is leaving the Colbert Report, and he's going to take David Letterman's place on late night TV on CBS. And this guy had this quote. Remember, you cannot be both young and wise. <laughs> young people who pretend to be wise to the ways of the world are mostly just cynics. Cynicism masquerades as wisdom, but it is the farthest thing from it. Because cynics don't learn anything. Because cynicism is a self-imposed blindness, a rejection of the world because we are afraid it will hurt us or disappoint us. Cynics always say no. But saying yes begins things. Saying yes is how things grow. Saying yes leads to knowledge. Yes is for young people. So for as long as you have the strength to say yes. Youths of any age and say yes, not because you somehow have summoned the strength, but because God has always had the strength 
I want you to know every time we celebrate this meal together, and if you are going to help us, would you go ahead and get started? We are actually remembering and commemorating the past, but there's a part of this meal that is absolutely about hope and future. This may be oversimplified, but hear this. The bread. The bread, as we understand it, it has to do with Passover and the ways that Christ added meaning to the Passover in and through his own broken body. So think of it like this. Again, forgive me if it's oversimplified. But with the bread, we think backwards and we remember and we're grateful. But this cup, This particular cup of wine, one of four in the ancient Passover meal, this particular one has to do with the future and this deep-seated belief that, in fact, God will win. God will win, and at some point, we will all dine together at this giant table celebrating the victory of God. So we eat in remembrance. (laughs) Be careful, to make sure that we Nazarenes hear this right. We eat in remembrance, but we drink for hope. <laughs> we eat in remembrance, but we drink toward hope. Turn off the recording. Just kidding. <laughs> Just playing. Folks, we eat in a deep sense of gratitude. But we drink believing that God is still active and moving. If the word of the Lord is rare... If the visions are rare, I'm telling you, it's not God's fault. It's largely because the people of God have grown comfortable in their no, calling it a responsible adult worldview. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and by them challenge our worldview. If in any sense, Lord, we find ourselves calcified today, if we find ourselves down or depressed constantly in a state of despair, believing that you are not and perhaps cannot move, then may the broken body and the shed blood, the cup, the cup, may it nourish us just enough to move our nose to maybes. And may it move maybes to yes. Father, remind us in the course of our taking this meal that we are called to be a people of yes. A yes gathered not by our own strength, but a yes because it reflects your yes, your power, your imagination, your possibility. May we not by the practice of our Christianity limit your kingdom. But may the practice of our Christianity explode boundaries. Move us, God, into your yes, into your hope and future as we eat. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. Move out of your pew to the left and come forward and receive the bread with your hands cupped. As you do, that person will say, the body of Christ broken for you. And know in that moment that you are receiving an element of remembrance, commemorating broken body and the Passover. But then take that element and dip it into the cup 
right then and there. When you do, that person will say, the blood of Christ shed for you. Dip it into that cup and then eat it. And know that at that point, you are eating and drinking toward hope. Toward the completion of God's unfinished business. After that, I hope you'll find a place to pray. And perhaps today, at that place of prayer, you will, like me, confess, <laughs> confess your cynicism. Maybe even like me, seek forgiveness for your cynicism. And maybe even like me, ask that God would challenge your cynicism. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you do this, remember me. Then later on, after dinner, he took the cup. He held it before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. And we drink toward that day. And we will celebrate all around the same table when God will have finished what God has started. So drink. Every time you drink, remember me. All across the sanctuary now, I want to invite you to stand up, move to your left, then approach one of these stations with your hands cupped. If you need Jason to come to you, he will. These side altars are reserved for prayers for healing. I encourage you to pray that prayer you're also welcome to find any of these other spots to pray. These, these altars across the front are open for all kinds of prayers, for recovery from cynicism, doubt, despair. Someone will come and pray along with you the prayer for hope or the prayer for healing.
tangible expression of the companionship of God for someone. If you see somebody here praying, you don't even have to know their situation. You don't even have to know their names. But if you would come and surround these people as we echo that very simple prayer, be thou my vision. I'll wait for a few moments as people come to surround these people.
Father, forgive us. We have we have taken taken the yes that we see so perfectly embodied in Christ, and we have allowed ourselves to be intimidated into making that yes into a no. Forgive us, God, because we have decided how it is that you are bound to work. We have decided what you can and cannot do. We have decided which situations are hopeless. And in our cynicism, we find ourselves complaining that your voice is seldom heard and that the visions are rare. God, so often we prayed for renewed hearts and we are not, not going to pray that prayer. But I find myself, God, in need of renewed imagination. Forgive me, God, for being so addicted to my own imagination and not nearly as addicted as I should be to yours. God, as I pray... As I read, God, as we pray, as we read scripture, may we open ourselves to the new words that you would speak to us and perhaps even through us as we are sometimes Samuel, but sometimes Eli. So we are sometimes Philip, but sometimes Nathaniel. God, relieve us, relieve us of the pressure <laughs> to be right. Relieve us of the pressure to know. And instead, God, fill us with hope. In small situations, hope for individual people with individual issues and hope for families and marriages and Hope for entire cities and states and countries. Hope for the church. Hope for institutions. May we be yes people. Father, we pray for those who are sick. And we celebrate how we have seen you move to help and heal Megan Hodge. So thank you, God, for all that you've done to bring her back here today, for bringing her back home. God, we know there are others that need a similar touch. And I'm gonna get out of the way as you pray that prayer. Perhaps you know somebody that I don't know, a person who's desperately in need of healing, perhaps a relationship in need of healing. Pray that prayer to the God who heals.
Father, the words, the very simple words spoken to Philip are spoken to us today. Follow me. And just before we conclude with the Lord's Prayer, I want you to hear and then respond in prayer to that very simple command. Follow me. Just as certainly as these words are spoken to Philip, they are now spoken to each of us and all of us. And now respond however you would like to, having heard Jesus say, follow me. Father, to take those words seriously, it it feels uh, a little dangerous. It feels a little open-ended. It feels a lot like a blank check. We are honest when we say that we're not sure exactly what it will all look like. So thank you for this prayer that continues to shape our imagination, to help us to know what it might look like if a person or a people were to say yes a full-bodied yes to your call to follow. And so let's pray this prayer as we close today, and we will pray it using debts and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. Or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.